This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The United States announced sanctions on Friday against Iran in retaliation for the missile strikes near U.S. air bases in Iraq. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin made the announcement, which is on top of current sanctions once again put in place after the U.S. removed itself from the Iran nuclear deal. Alexis Early is a partner at the firm of King & Spalding, who focuses on international trade and government. Alexis, thanks very much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, So do these latest rounds of sanctions have the opportunity to have some teeth to them, to to be effective? That depends on how we measure effectiveness. And really, that matters what the administration's end goal is and what they're working toward. You know, if they're working toward regime change or regime collapse, or do they want to drive Iran to the bargaining table, or are they just punitive? So it's a little difficult to tell whether they're going to be effective if we don't know what their purpose is. Was it a necessary move by the U.S., in your opinion? I think the U.S. has been good about responding to provocation in the region at various levels of escalation, which we actually see in these uh, announcements. There are some more symbolic announcements um, for the sake of responding, and then there are some that have a bit more teeth. So the U.S. has a number of sanctions tools, and they can calibrate up and down as they feel necessary. Uh, Of the sanctions that were put in place, are there specific sectors that you see that are maybe more important for the U.S. to address than others? Yes. So because of all of the existing sanctions already on Iran, there's only so much left to sanction at this point. Um, There were already some existing sanctions on the Iranian metals industry. And then this new action on Friday includes specifically targeting um, the construction industry as well as the textiles industry and the mining and manufacturing sectors. So um, focusing on essentially anything that isn't specifically called out as prohibited in existing sanctions, that is still a source of revenue for the Iranian regime. And the state of the of the economy in that country right now is what? It's not great, both from a macro level as well as the individual level. I believe the Washington Post had reported that the cost of basic goods in Iran, especially food and other consumables for the population, has more than doubled since 2016. So there's more civilian unrest due to the economic condition. And then there's also concerns from the government about their macroeconomic position, given how many of their government banks are already subject to sanctions. Now, the other part to this is is probably also the relations that the U.S. has with our European allies. And obviously, those countries would be interested in how this is going to be moving forward as well. It hasn't been a great last few months between the U.S. and, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of an understatement at times, between Germany and, and and other countries there. How does this potentially impact that relationship with those countries? You know, it's very difficult to do something in one area of the world and not have it impact the other because they're so globally connected. The U.S. and its European allies and also Russia and China, who are on the U.N. Security Council that was responsible for implementing the nuclear accord in 2016, they all have a complex web of trading relationships, so it's difficult to take action in one area and com- and completely contain it, for example, to the Middle East and not impact European trading relationships or other diplomatic engagements that are underway. 
But there has to be the recognition by other countries, if they wanted to do business with Iran, that, that seemingly the United States is in a very important kind of structural, tactical battle right now with them. Yes, I think there's a difference of opinion from different capitals around the world as to how best to handle the situation with Iran and whether the U.S. is taking the right approach. You know, the U.N. Security Council and the EU were really bought into the Iran nuclear accord, and they thought that was the best way to affect structural change. So I think there's some difference of opinion. I think everyone has the goal of making sure that Iran doesn't get a nuclear weapon or further destabilize the Middle East. But um, how to go about doing that is where the strategy diverges. Obviously, part of this, the the timing of it is also you have this going on and and you also have this week uh, the fact that the U.S. is supposed to sign the phase one deal uh, with China. And and I wonder if there's any impact on on maybe not necessarily that, but potentially a phase two moving forward. I think that is a good question to ask. You know, we don't have the text of the phase one agreement yet that's supposed to be signed Wednesday morning. So we aren't quite sure the details and how any move with Iran could impact that. But I do note that the secondary sanctions imposed on third countries for dealing with Iran on Friday were targeted toward a Chinese uh, metals importer, its so-called front company in the Seychelles, and its shipper in Hong Kong. But the U.S. is really sending a message there of we can impose secondary sanctions on third countries, including you, China, but also a message of restraint. You know, the the State Department has been publicly stating that they would could go after um, Chinese oil companies, which is a much larger source of revenue, but chose to have a restrained action against one metals importer. So the U.S. is very much aware of the delicacy of its China trading relationship and how it could be impacted. So what do we think is the, is the state of the Iranian oil business right now? Because seemingly that would be one of their, their, their big uh, financial benefits if they were able to really get as much oil out as they would like to. Their oil trade has significantly gone down since the U.S. pulled out of the Iran nuclear accord. But the U.S. has said that it's going to um, consider increasing enforcement. You know, there are all of these penalties on the books with sanctions. Many of them are for a deterrent effect, but they also have enforcement teeth behind them. And the State Department's um, Iran envoy, Brian Hook, has been saying on the record since December that the State Department and the Trump administration is going to look to actually undertake some enforcement actions, specifically targeting um, Iranian offshore oil trades and the shipping sector that really allows that oil to move. Well, and I guess you also have to keep an eye on what happens in the Strait of Hormuz moving forward. We've already seen one attack on a tanker in the last few months. I, I would imagine that that still has to be a possibility moving forward. Absolutely. You know, the deputy national security uh, advisor said right after the Soleimani hit that it would really take probably two months to know for sure how the Iranian regime is going to respond beyond the initial barrage of uh, rockets that were fired last week. Is the IRGC um, and other aspects of the Iranian armed forces going to take any actions in the Strait of Hormuz, or is it going to be left more to the foreign ministry and the presidency and the more diplomatic level in Iran? Right, because people, uh, it's a story that is now being carried more and more, is the fact that the U.S. isn't reliant on oil from that part of the world as they were, say, 20 or 30 years ago, with us being a net exporter. It's more, if we're going to have some sort of presence in that region, it's to protect what 
maybe going to other countries, other allies. Yes, and to protect our own investments there. You know, the, we have the fifth fleet of the U.S. Navy in Bahrain, and being able to ensure the navigability of that area of the world is an important strategic imperative, not just economically, but from a security perspective. Alexis, thanks very much for your time. Greatly appreciate your insight. Alexis Early at the uh, firm of King and Spalding. She focuses on international trade and government. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.